how the yogis out of the middle, we can visualize a campfire here. <laughs> we could just manifest. So speaking of campfires and sharing circles, uh, I have a story to start with about that. Um, Some time ago, maybe pre-pandemic, probably seven years ago at this point, I um, invited a group of students. At the time, I was teaching at Harvard Divinity School, and I was teaching this course on green Buddhism and invited my students to Wonderwell Mountain Refuge, which is the retreat center that I live at and founded some years ago. And I'd invited them to come up there and just spend the night, I think a couple of nights, we were up there for the weekend, And one of the activities was to have a uh, story-sharing campfire. And we made a bonfire out back, and we got into a circle to begin to share share songs and stories. And, And somehow we really got into songs. So we were sharing songs, and we were, you know, teaching each other the choruses and one of the people in the class was a Bangladeshi monk, really beloved friend, still friends with him, um, Upali, who may now be a professor of Buddhist studies at this point. He was on his way to that, that trajectory and going into graduate school to become a teacher. He's already a teacher of the Dharma, but he was going to be a teacher academically and it was his turn to share. And so we were passing around this like uh, rock. Whoever had the rock could share their, their song. And, and he said, he got the rock, and he said, this is a lullaby that my mother used to sing to me. And we were all like, aww. And he sang it, of course, in, in Bangladeshi. And then we said, well, could you tell us what it means, Upali? He's, and he said, yes, the lyrics are, sweet little baby, one day you will die. Your body will become ash and earth. 
and all things are impermanent and uh, sound is like an echo or something like that. But like by the third lyric, we were all just on the ground in stitches. Like we were, and, and he didn't understand. He said, what? what? It's the Dharma. And we're like, yeah, it is the Dharma. But if you sang that, you know, like as a lullaby in America, everyone would be like, what? <laughs> no, it's just so sweet. Yeah. Um, cross-cultural differences. Ah, <laughs> uh, exactly. Uh huh. There you go. We have our own, right? Macabre. Maybe it's. Maybe that's a. Maybe that's in our DNA as humans. I don't know. Let the baby know there. There are dangers out there. Yeah. <laughs> so let's let's start sharing some of our sharing and you know we don't have to rush because if we don't finish tonight we'll finish tomorrow uh, before this before the poetry slam but let's let's go as far as we can go in about an hour or so a little more maybe Yes, you look really eager. You look so eager. Okay. Hi, I'm Lisa. I haven't spoken a lot on this retreat, and so now is the time. Oh, I, I want to um, I thank all of you for the container you've provided because I've gotten a lot of rest while I've been here, and I and I super needed it. I just I arrived more exhausted than I knew. Um, I've got a bunch going on. Some of it's great, like my daughter just had my first grandchild. He's five weeks old. It makes me feel very connected to you. Yeah, really wonderful. Yeah, and then others harder. Um, I, I, um, a close spiritual friend died about three weeks ago, so that's hard. Um, and I have some health concerns. And I'm turning 69 in a week, which feels momentous. 68 didn't feel momentous, but 69 does. Um, and then the other big thing is I'm, I'm transitioning to living part-time in Massachusetts. And I'm from New England, but I've spent the last 34 years in Texas. And so I'm coming back part-time with my husband, and we have a house in South Hadley, and we just started this in August. So I have no idea, you know, what it's going to be like. And I feel kind of disoriented and confused and positive about it, but disoriented and confused. So um, I slept during all of our breaks. I probably just said that. And so, so then when we were going to go treasure-seeking, I just knew I wanted to, it to be really small, that I wasn't ready for the forest. I kind of thought I'd end up staring at a flower the whole time. But I, I tried to see what called me, and I walked through the lawns and the grasses and um, back behind the dining room. Several hills down, I found this huge rock, and the rock called to me. So... I went and climbed up on it. Um, and aside here is that I've, I've always really loved rocks. 
Um, I, I had two boulders in my backyard growing up, and this is suburban Connecticut, and the glaciers left them, and nobody could move them, and so they were there for, to be my friends. You know, I used to talk to them, I decorated them for holidays, you know, coloring a whole orange pumpkin out of one boulder. <laughs> I did. Um, and then also, because it was New England, there was a stone wall behind my house. Even though it was a small house, small yard, it had been part of a farm at some point, and the stone wall went up a hill into the woods, dividing properties. So I got up on this rock, and I, asked, I made a little altar, and I asked for guidance, and guidance said, lie down. Good guidance had been telling me the whole retreat. <laughs> and so I lay down, and a piece of the rock was digging into my back, and um, guidance said, you know, read, readjust. And so I moved, turned around, and knocked the altar to smithereens. And I just, I just laughed, because that's not uncommon for me. Um, and then I rolled over onto my belly, and I fell asleep. And I slept probably for 20 minutes or half an hour, a really deep, restful sleep. And then I woke up and I, I wrote this poem, and my group heard an unedited version of this. I've edited it a bit. The poem's called Just This Rock. I'm being held by a rock, gravity doing the work. I rest, I sleep, the cool crags like childhood friends. That was yesterday. And then today, when Lama Willa said that we were going to go on a, a, a water and rock walk, I was like, yes, this <laughs> great rocks, <laughs> more rocks. And I, um, I went out into the forest with all of you, and I got so scared because the rocks were wet, and they were really slippery, and I was like, super tentative and timid. I'd, um, I'd had an incredible trip years before um, hiking in Asia where I fell a bunch and never got hurt. It was shale, and it, when it was wet, it was extremely slick, and I did not get hurt. But since then, I've gotten older. I have um, brittle bones. I have some neuropathy, and I was really scared. So I'm like, you know the, the way you're not supposed to do it, where you creep, <laughs> like no momentum, you're just really, really, really careful? Um, that's what I did, and then I started speeding up, and then I just had no thoughts at all. I just started flying from rock to rock. It was incredible. I, I felt like... I, mean, I didn't think this until afterwards, but as a kid, I used to run along that stone wall, right? Not afraid of falling, and that's what this was like. Uh, just an amazing gift. Um, so I got back, and I wrote sort of a poem. Um, it's called A Wet Rock and Water Day. Gliding from rock to rock, held only by air and momentum, and toe on the rock behind. Trust that I will be caught. Such joy, I'd forgotten my porous, grippy granite. It brings tears to my eyes. So, um, 
Just to finish, I would say that uh, what I learned so far from this experience is that that the metaphors came to me. I didn't create the metaphors, I lived them. But if I hadn't written them down, I don't think I would have heard them. So thank you. Olive. Thank you, Lisa. You can pass it to the next one, who I don't know who it is. Okay. Thank you. Were you saying something? Okay. So I'm Lisa also, and I'm going to um, join in on the baby theme. So, um, so this yesterday you had said we could just tell a story, like not related to our exercise. And I realized like, that this is a story that's really alive in me, which is kind of like a triple miracle. Um, so um, I have two adult children and my daughter Angelina, I've always had like a really, really difficult relationship with her on every level. And um, um, and two years ago, well actually three years ago, she came home, I mean, just imagine like the most difficult relationship you can imagine between a mother and a daughter, just on every level. So, um, so three years ago, she, almost three years ago, two and a half years ago, she came home, um, and after she came home, I I found out that she was pregnant, and um, and it was like the most amazing transformative experience for her and for our relationship. Um, and she stayed with me through her pregnancy, and I was actually there when my first granddaughter was born. And um, and I don't think I'm really communicating like the depth of what it feels like to be a mother and to be like has such a difficult relationship with your child, and to just like have such deep suffering for such a prolonged period of time. And just like, I mean, it's, um, and just what a miracle, it, like really a miracle it was for us. And then in addition to that, I've always had a quite um, second youngest in a family of 11 children and I've always had this quite distant relationship with my mother and where I just never really connected with her much. And so it just so happened that after my granddaughter was born, this sort of circumstances um, happened in this way where myself and my daughter and my granddaughter went to stay with my mom because she was getting quite old and needed a little bit more people around. Um, and it was just this, like I always had this dream that someday I would connect with my mother and I had this like image of us sitting around and like having some deep heartfelt, you know, meaningful conversation. But instead what happened is that in that time when the four of us were together, we just all 
like so delighted at my granddaughter, who by that time was about a year old. And um, it was just, and I was just sitting there in the rocking chair one day, and I just thought, like, oh my God, this is it. This is the healing. This is, it's not what I ever imagined it would be like. And, um, but it, it was just, it was just even better than I could have imagined. And, um, and then, and it also was this miracle for my mom, you know, who had 11 children and also like 26 grandchildren, 25 great-grandchildren. But, you know, now my, me and my daughter and my granddaughter were actually like in her house with her. And just every morning when she woke up, she just was so like happy to, you know, see my granddaughter and just, um, it just brought so much joy to her life in those last, you know, few months while she was really starting to decline. And, um, and I guess, and so she passed away last December and, um, and, um, like there's a part of me that's still kind of like, um, this retreat is the first time that I've had like space around me to like for all of this to percolate and um, and I don't know it just felt like a, such a sacred space like there was something that just like made me feel really safe to like that this I could tell this story and that it would really be honored and um, so I really appreciate you all hearing it. Thank you, Lisa. We do honor you. Beautiful matrilineal wisdom. Thank you for being a mother. My name is also Mike. It's always three of us. <clears throat> so I'm still pretty new to Buddhism, um, and I'm as I'm learning more about the practice and my own spirituality. I've seen a lot of confusion um, around uh, what Lama Willow was talking about, uh, the magic in the natural world, and the understanding that I seek. Uh, I went to undergraduate for ecology and conservation, so I was always uh, encouraged to go out and identify as much as I could and bring that back with me. So that seemed almost counterintuitive to the magic, uh, just letting it be. And um, I've heard that expressed a number of times over the uh, retreat, so it's good to hear that I'm not alone. Um, so I'll share a poem that I wrote today. 
I call it um, Dancing with the Thunder. What is this magic? Some say it is simply there. Others say knowledge. I've heard from the thunder that it is both. Under a tree whose name tells me here it shouldn't be, but the leaves protect me in this present moment. And if I chop you down, black dotted leaves no more, O oh, troublesome tree, then what would be left to protect me? Through the looking glass, perceived only by me, and available to all, the changing colors and the songs in your canopy. Our knowledge and magic in battle, do I hear their clash in the thunder? The rain waters a seed and magic blooms, each petal with its place. Mesmerized by a hermit thrush, singing deep in a hemlock grove, knowledge tells me that he strums two chords, chanting in while chanting out. In a disappearing landscape, I mustn't forget. Red efts climb over twig and leaf, only on dry ground in this life cycle. But knowledge tells me he longs for water. Hopefully, he will transform, dancing with the thunder. I've been thinking a lot about why I signed up specifically for this retreat. Uh, since Lama Willa asked us on Friday night. And um, being in the natural world has brought me uh, a lot of grief recently, but I already feel like I'm making progress. Um, a large contributor to my curiosity and interest uh, in the natural world comes from my best friend, uh, who was in a tragic accident last year, leaving him uh, with a traumatic brain injury that appears he won't be able to recover from. It's a really confusing version of loss. And I never would have expected it, especially at age 25. I found this treasure yesterday when I left my binoculars in the Dharma Hall. Oh, birds, trees, and croaking frogs, please continue to enlighten us. Remind me he's still here, and I vow to always water you. A shadowy face emerges on the trunk of an oak, a reminder to be mighty and grow as tall as I can. Peace is every bird, and every bird is with you. Hi, I'm Kate. Um, I'm really feeling everyone's shares tonight. Thank you. Uh, this morning, Lama Willa mentioned the magical thinking and or maybe a rock is not just a rock and uh, it's been getting into my mind about the idea of playfulness and how I let that go so much of my life, just um, maybe not allowing myself to have fun. <laughs> Everything needs to be very by the book. And um, 
that's that's what's been coming up for me the most today. So when we went off on our own and I was setting intentions, uh, I thought a lot about like, I'm just here to, to play. <laughs> um, and I, I wrote to play and, and to heal from the, the matrix, meaning that, <laughs> that I feel sometimes like I'm, I go to work and I, I live the life and um, Really, what I want to do is just be outside, and um, I've been thinking a lot about what childhood was like and playing outside at a camp I went to, which was can only be described as a, a hippie Shakespeare camp. We would perform <laughs> Shakespeare. We created shrines to the text of Shakespeare. We did. It was outside on the water. It was beautiful. Um, so that came up a lot for me today, uh, and so I wrote a, a, a few spontaneous poems. Um, I'll share the first that came while it just started to rain, but it wasn't hitting me. Um, when it is time to play, the earth will let you know. Somehow the elements know best, better, or maybe I'm foolish and will be soaked. I still feel safe, even as the ink on the page bleeds. Everything is changing and impactful, even when the message is patience. And when I stood up, I was on this rock, and when I stood up, I felt the rock say to me, like, your life is about to change. And I was like, thanks, rock. I appreciate that. Uh, and I saw lots of animals and insects that I was not expecting. Um, I, I saw this little caterpillar, and it was so cute. So I was thinking of um, Pablo Neruda and his, like, the, the poet who he has, like, these, if you're not familiar like an ode to a pair of pants or like an ode to a nectarine, like these, and, and just writes about how amazing and the, the, it, this object is. So I, I wrote about an ode to a little caterpillar. <laughs> oh, fuzzy little caterpillar, how I want to pet you, your zebra and skunk coloring, your fur-like baby porcupine, yet probably not so dangerous. Look how you nourish yourself on the underside of a leaf chomping happily and satisfied on a green tree. Silent unless we discover a microscopic microphone. Your tracks would go viral. Your haircut, the next Rachel or Bob or Shag. <laughs> Why are caterpillars not celebrities? Why does the paparazzi not try for your attention? Why don't they <laughs> click the camera and ask, which tree are you eating today? Ms. Caterpillar, is there a lucky insect in your life? <laughs> Possibly your shyness or preference for staying out of the spotlight? Maybe just a little awkward stage until this post-cocoon time. I'm sure, you will, I'm sure you have your reasons. We all do. So for now, I'll leave you be. Thank you for teaching me. And the last thing I'll just share, uh, as I was coming, it was pouring, and I started to come back into the farmhouse, and there was this little snake that was in the entrance of the farmhouse, and it was so small, and I was not expecting, these were teachings and treasures that I was not expecting to find. Um, and I, at first I was like, oh, little snake, like, let's try and get you outside. The snake just really wanted to come hang out by some shoes and was like hiding behind one of the, the shelf, the shoe thingies, um, and every once in a while, I would, like, I looked at I watched, watched it for a while. <laughs> it, was, it lifted its head up, like, behind, is there still anyone there? And then I finally got the message that 
the, it, it was saying like, okay, I'm good. Like you can, I'll find my way out. You're okay. You don't have to, to help me. So, um, yeah, I, the, the, the snake ode I might hang on to for the, the guy that's smart. I'm going to work on that one a little bit, but that one definitely needed, um, it, that snake also needed a poem. So <laughs> thanks. Thank you. So hi everyone, uh, my name is Richard. Um, there have been so many treasures and insights that have arisen during this retreat. Um, it's really difficult to, to focus in on one. Um, but earlier this afternoon, uh, Lama Willa mentioned my favorite book in the world. And some of the, the teachings from that book have been coming up for me during this retreat. So the backdrop to this is uh, during the first excursion we had into the woods where uh, we were to make an altar and to ask permission to be present in the forest and the like. Um, when I asked permission... I felt resistance arising. You spoke to this yesterday, too. We had a similar experience. Um, and so I sat with that, and I gave it space for a few minutes. And what started, what occurred to me was the resistance for asking permission was based on my awareness of the degree of environmental degradation. Um, I'm 62 years old. My generation, me personally, I mean, I have been part of depleting resources and contributing to carbon emissions and things of that nature. So as I was able to sort of bring words to, or bring understanding to that, it was certainly a very humbling moment. Um, and continue to sit there and be with it and give it space. And um, sort of a sidebar here, um, in college I was blessed to take a course on Chinese philosophy with a um, teacher from China, and I took every course this man taught and ended up having a fair amount of exposure to Taoist texts and Confucius texts, uh, Chan or Zen Buddhist texts. And for the last 40-plus years, my favorite book in the world has been the Tao Te Ching. Um, and I have multiple translations of it. I've spent many hours reading the book. And I'm sure regardless of what book or song or source of art it is, probably many of you could appreciate something you keep coming back to that at different points in your life speaks to you in different ways. Um, and that's the depth and breadth and profundity I find in this work. Sidebar, um, and I'm dating myself here, 
I recommend the version, if you can find it, um, by Gia Fu Feng and Jane English that has black and white photos. Um, that would be one of the older ones because the new ones don't have it. But just the nature of photos alone would make it worth finding that text. But in that moment of being humbled, I was reminded in the Tao Te Ching um, two lines, really. Lao Tzu asks the question of us, and I'm speaking in the present tense because I, I feel this work, this book is so contemporary. And the question is this, do you think you can take the natural world and improve on it? Okay? And it's not a rhetorical question because the next line, he answers it. And the English translations usually come down to two pithy words. What nonsense. And some translators put an exclamation point as if, you know, he's saying this emphatically. You know, can you, do you believe you can take the world and improve on it? Make the natural world better than it is? What nonsense. Um, there's another book I've fallen in love with. It is my second favorite book in the world, and I also recommend the version by Gia Fu Feng and Jane English, and it's called The Chuang Su. Um, and the Chuang Su was another Taoist thinker who lived maybe about 200 years after Lao Tzu. And there's a book that the title of it is just his name, The Chuang Su. And I think of these two, this is a little sidebar here, but as almost like two siblings. And Lao Tzu, appropriately, would be the older sibling. He's more serious. He talks about some worldly things like advice to sage king rulers and um, lamenting the tragedy of war and violence and things of that nature. Chuang Tzu has no part of that. I think of Chuang Tzu as like the playful, rebellious middle child. Um, there's a lot of emphasis in his book on spontaneity. Appropriate for our retreat, the first chapter is sometimes uh, translated with the title Carefree Wandering. Um, and he sort of tackles the same issue. And one of the things with Chuang Tzu is he has a playful, almost irreverent sense of humor that at times can even feel subversive. So he tackles this same issue. Do we think we can take the natural world and improve on it? And where Lao Tzu writes in verse... Chuang Tzu writes in prose, and he shares a brief story with us, and it goes something like this. Um, and I'm sharing this because I do find these authors so inspiring, and they have been with me like old friends, like ancestors, and Zen is one of the traditions I practice in, that have been visiting me all weekend. So Chuang Tzu tells the story like this. There were three characters in this story, and we'll call the first one Tweedledee and the second one Tweedledum. Um, and Tweedledee and Tweedledum are wandering in the woods, and they come across the third character. And the third character we can call 
um, primal wisdom or primal chaos, some translators would go with, but I like primal wisdom. So Tweedledee says to Tweedledum, you know, this guy's okay, but I think we should give primal wisdom a human form. So they start tinkering. And on the first day, Tweedledee and Tweedledum drill two holes in primal wisdom to make ears. And on the second day, they drill two holes to make a nose. On the third day, they drill two more holes to make eyes. And then on the fourth day, they drill just one more hole to make a mouth. And then on the fifth day, primal wisdom died. So just both of these, these uh, one verse, one prose, I sat and reflected with those in this moment of feeling humbled for asking permission to be in this sacred space. Um, and going forward, I think my, my aspiration, my inspiration from this retreat well, just to be to up my game, I'm a member of an environmental group in Connecticut, but to be honest, I haven't been nearly involved enough reading the emails, returning, contacting my senator and local rep, etc. Um, and just trying to be mindful of other ways that I might contribute to what Lama Willa referred to earlier as the healing of this sacred earth. So... Um, I do have a poem, but I'm going to save it for tomorrow because I want to win the poetry slam. <laughs> and we'll have drive to think o- of a prize. <laughs> well, that's where I was going. I want to drive off with the electric vehicle that Lama Will is going to give the winner. <laughs> there is one out there. Anyone want to donate it? <laughs> I'll take a donation. So, so it's my electric vehicle, but, but, but let me say, um, I'm sort of bounced all over this weekend. I was ready to come here. I'm always happy to listen to Lama Willa, and I've been here before, and so, I'm, so it isn't a surprise. So well, what's a surprise is... Um, my wife and I came to retreats here 20 years ago. So she's been right, I mean, she's always close by anyway, but she's been right here. She died 12 years ago. And, um, and I wanna, I mean, I thank Lama Willa for the help um, that she provided to Leslie and to me, and to her arrival with both feet. Um, You know, I often think of Tara coming down when she's needed. So Willa was that for, for, for us at that time. So, um, 
So now is like the question is whether I can make the transition into the story. So one of the things that was up today was refuge. And Leslie had, and when we lived in Vermont, we had a grove of hemlock. And she used to go and sit. And that was her refuge spot. And I think it was a bigger size version of her refuge when she was a kid. And when things were difficult, she would go find a bush and be in nature. And um, so when Leslie got cancer, one of the things Willis said, told her was to find a refuge tree. And we lived um, on a hill on the, on the coast. So I don't know if there are mountains in New Hampshire, Leslie, but I mean, but, but there are a lot of hills in New Hampshire. <laughs> and there's even, there isn't a few hills on the coast of, but our hill was only 90 feet. But you could look out for that across the marsh and this tree, which is a tamarack, was sort of up a little ways from the house. And she could sit in the chair or be outside and look at the tree and look at the natural world, different than here, swamps, grassland, and the ocean. And that was a place where she found some peace. And after I, after she died, I haven't quite died yet, um, it, I was there for another year and a half. And it helped me in the same way that it helped her sort of put my life back together after uh, a big, transition and I, the thing I'm mostly you know I'm sort of a little bit of a Catholic a little bit more more Quaker that's sort of where I am and somewhat Buddhist but the thing that I've gotten from Buddhism is just the understanding that life is full of change and that you have to welcome it in and um, and that you can deal with very difficult things. Um, and probably with that, I'll, I'll end. But anyway, thank you, Willa. Mm. Thank you, Jim. Leslie's so present. So um, I've always been curious about nature and going back to when I was four, I remember we had neighbors that, I don't know if you remember this, it would be a long time ago for most people who weren't even born, 
but people would paint rocks white and they put them around the, along their drive, driveway or along the road or something. And I would, I would lift them up and I would collect all the night crawlers that were underneath there. And my mother talked about, apparently I didn't understand they were sentient beings because I left them in my pockets. <laughs> and she would fish them out of the washing machine and be totally grossed out. But um, so I've been, you know, grew up in suburbia um, and was the only one in my family who was really drawn to, to natural places. And it was hard to find, but I, what I did is I found them through friends and their families. And I was able to go places and explore places that um, was really a wonderful gift. So um, lately in my family, we've been dealing with a lot of, um, a lot of rifts, um, fission, ruptures, I guess, I, I don't know what you want to call it, but, um, you know, my, my younger daughter has really was living alone in San Francisco, and it's just that pandemic just really did a number on her, and my, my older daughter's husband, who is a, you know, war veteran, just kind of lost it when the Ukrainian conflict happened, so she's really, you know, He's really struggling. It means that she's really struggling. Um, I mean, I've had it easy, but I, I did have, I had shoulder replacement surgery like six weeks ago. Um, so so I was, we were out walking that first morning, and I'm like, my God, look at that tree. I, look, I looked at Mike. I don't know if anyone has seen that tree that's split in half. Uh, have you seen that off the side of the... It's literally split in half all the way down, but it's got two halves that are incredibly viable. You know, they're living, they're breathing. They're, and, and if you look at them, they're sort of like balance between... It's, it's really a miracle. So, um, of course, you know, being the conscientious human that I am, I wanted to know what happened. <laughs> what event took place here that caused that? Um, and so I, um, this is going to be more like a storytelling or like a children's story. So forgive me if I, if it's a little too performative for you, but, um, so here it goes. All right. Ruptured oak split in half. What has happened to you? I do not under, I do not know or understand, but I survive, says the oak. So I ask around, ancient rock, can you tell me what happened to ruptured oak? Ancient rock is right above ruptured oak. Nothing that I can remember, I heard something like a whisper, but my memory is much too long. Ask me about the time I was thrown about by glaciers. That was a memory. <laughs> but this tree, I didn't even know it was there. So many have come and gone during my time. Would you like to listen to me sing? <laughs> Thank you, ancient rock, but I must get to the bottom of this. Oops. Asters, what say you about this tree and the fissure it has endured? Something happened for sure. We heard a crack and then a cry, 
but it didn't last very long. But then the wind blew, and we were suddenly so happy that we forgot very quickly about it. But we love him and wish him only the best. Listen to us sing. I turn to the three of them and ask, so seems like nobody knows the real story. In unison, the rock, the asters, and the ruptured oak say, why does it matter? That the moment, that was the moment of silence when the rain started to fall. At which point, ruptured oak asked me, might you be open to hearing about healing? About my healing? I think that's what you're looking for anyway, isn't it? Yes, that's the point, isn't it, ruptured oak? Ruptured oak took the microphone. What I have learned about healing is this. Take your time. Trust yourself. And if you can find one, trust your community. Try not to worry. I know that's hard for humans, especially you, Michael. Instead, let yourself turn towards the pain and feel it. That's the beginning. And trust whatever happens afterwards, including more rupture, even death, which will come for all of us, including me. And so I ask, clearly there's something I can do for you, right? Yes, you can. Spend more time in nature. Love the forest, the ocean. Love all beings. Use your power to protect us all from the ravages of greed and exploitation. Make a smaller footprint. Consume much less. Be a role model for others, especially those who are younger and wiser. Make life possible for them. Be there for them. Honor their struggles. Protect the most vulnerable. Be kind, always. My fissure is the fissure in all beings. The separation, the polarization, and angst. Follow the deep peace. Open to the bliss. Inside the hollow, healing will follow, kind sir. And thank you for the offerings you left today, especially the spider with the white dot on its abdomen. They have left me feeling hopeful and complete, healed. May I call you sacred oak now? Of course. The end. I got here a little late, but I have a story from a, a couple of weeks ago. Um, I went to my first somatic retreat. I'm very new to somatics, and um, we were asked to co-regulate in nature, which is one of my favorite things to do. And so I see everybody like holding onto trees, getting the energy from the trees, and I was like, that looks really cool. Let's do this. So I'm holding the tree for like two entire minutes and not really getting much out of it and feeling really down on myself like why is everybody feeling the trees and getting this energy and I just can't get anything 
So I felt my spirit kind of asked me to surrender to it and let go. And right as I let go, you know, I closed my eyes. I sort of said a prayer, let go. And I opened my eyes and I see this huge daddy long leg climbing down the tree from the back of the tree. And it kind of stops at like nose level and sort of observes me. And it reaches out two little legs, like almost like, what is this huge giant being in front of me? And that's where I truly witnessed the magic, which is what I call a miracle. And so it climbed all the way around the tree at the bottom, and I turned my back to the tree and said another prayer of gratitude for, you know, a gratitude of this miracle. So I spent two minutes doing that and turned back around to the tree, and very slowly it came from behind the tree and all the way back up. And it was just kind of the most beautiful thing that I'd ever seen because it was so much better than trying to get energy from a tree, but it was actually co-regulation with this beautiful spider. And that's the story. Thank you. So I'm Michael, and uh, I I was going to read my story from yesterday, and I might read part of it, but it's part of a much bigger story. Um, It's interesting to hear you share, Michael, about the family divisions and rifts that have happened post-pandemic, and I've experienced that too, which has been very difficult in some ways and to me there's a whole lot of realignment going on right now for many many of us and particularly for me included that's partly why I came I get a lot from nature it's the it's the thing that helps me slow down and be present and so uh, I have a little place up in the north woods of Maine that I go to frequently during the summer and uh, it was so funny that one of the poems that we read this morning was about the guy coming off the mountain, Ryokan coming off the mountain because of the coming winter. And I tried to do a personal retreat at my place in 2019, or 2020, I think. And I made it till the end of September and said, this is enough. (laughs) (laughs) And after I'd been there for about two months, three. um, But it's easier. Uh, when I'm just out in my kayak or out in the woods and the same thing here. So for me personally, I'm getting to that stage of life, I guess, where I had a friend once wrote a book about quarter time for 25-year-olds and I said, how about you do one for me called seven-eighths time or something like that? (laughs) Because it's, you know, there's not a lot of clock left, I guess, in terms of years if you want to measure them. Um... And I've been blessed in many ways, and I think that's kind of what the tree gave me. If I can just read a little bit of that. I went out and I found this tree, and it was perfectly straight and tall, but not real big. It was big, but not real big. 
And so, straight tree, you stand tall and strong and beautiful. Older than many around you, yet you carry your years well and hide your scars. Perhaps protected by the older trees, now just stumps fallen and rotting at your feet. Fortunate you were in this incarnation. Your privilege included refuge and protection and gave you the courage to grow and grow well. And still you are not an outstanding tree by outstanding measures, but you are unique and straight and strong. A little hesitant still about your place in the forest, but standing tall you are. And so I said, what are you here to teach me? And what I got was, you don't have to impress to serve. You do not need to be perfect. Grow yourself well, and your own growth will serve yourself and others. Heed the inspiration that comes to you and follow it. What needs to open will open and you will be found by those who gain strength by your presence and by the clear space around you. And don't forget to connect with your brothers and sisters near you who share the same gratitude for the clear space, the refuge and the support to grow straight and strong. And about that time, this playful squirrel ran to the top of the tree and back down again. And that sort of said to me, this is your tree. And so I said, how do I practice these teachings? And what came was, continue to do your work. Continue to do things like you're doing here. Accept what is. Don't resist it or fight it. Just love your way through it. And trust and allow the unfolding to happen. You have a young heart and you want to grow despite your age. Express your love and feed your growth. And so that just touched me in many ways, it was very simple, very profound, and nothing grandiose. Um, and then today I got even a further confirmation. Two things happened. One was at the, at the wall where we, we were coming down towards the end of this morning's hike. And I put my hand on the wall and um, it's a long time since I've felt energy. <laughs> I learned polarity therapy back in the 70s and um, one of the things we used to do is really feel energy. And uh, I guess about 20 years ago I forgot that I used to do that and I never felt it or tried to. But this morning I put my hands on the wall and immediately felt it. And it was like, wow. And I then asked it, what, what's here? What do you got? And it, it, I was drawn to just put one hand on my chest and one hand on the wall. 
And it just said, trust the power of your heart. And I thought, wow, okay, that's great. And then this afternoon, after I uh, had my experience writing poetry, I came back and I stopped at the stupa. And I walked up to the altar, and there on the altar was a card that someone had written. And so I read the card, and it says, Wisdom tells me I am nothing. Love tells me I am everything. And between the two, my life flows. And it was written by Nagaradatta Maharaj. Um, that was written at the bottom. So I, I was, yeah. Between the two, my life flows. Between love and nothing. <laughs> and that's what I'm left with right now. So right now, feeling a lot of love for my family, despite some of the divisions. Feeling a lot clearer about not trying to overthink how I express my work in the world from here on. Um, trusting that if I continue to do my own work, that's probably the most important thing. Other yogis, have all the yogis spoken? Oh, okay. Yes. Well, actually, before you start, <laughs> we've been sitting for an hour, so I want to stand us. We're just going to do a brief uh, body stretch. We reach <laughs> Stretching over and reaching up tall, grabbing the other wrist. A nice stretch on the other side. And inhaling up. Grabbing the wrist and half moon. Inhaling up. Exhaling over. Inhaling up. And a swan dive. Leading with your heart, coming down, letting gravity take your head and arms. And moving the head from side to side, moving the hips. Wherever you're dangling, it's the perfect place. Dropping the head all the way, letting go of the neck. 
Feeling all of your thoughts tumble into the earth. And a slow roll up like a fern unfurling. Head is the last to come up. We'll take another little break in a minute, too, but we'll finish up our storytelling. Leslie, and I'm um, just so enjoying these sharings tonight. I find them very moving. So uh, thank you for listening to me. And um, this is also not my comfort zone, so I'm, you know, this is one of those things where I'm sort of putting myself out there. And, um, you know, I, I guess just to kind of encapsulate, and I've mentioned a little bit about um, uh, maybe to some other people, but uh, my love has been my Buddhist meditation practice for, for some years now. And um, I'm very much at present being drawn to the divine feminine as an energy and as a kind of a guiding guiding energy in my life. Um, I'm also finding um, creativity extremely inspiring, and that's another thing that last year, up until that time, I had never known I could be a creative and sort of got this cascade of creative energy uh, over the past year, which has been a lot of fun. And... um, the other thing that inspires me is intuition and um, thinking um, much in much larger terms of um, consciousness and what consciousness is uh, for beings on this planet and the importance of raising our consciousness. Um, and... Uh, so I, I guess, you know, right now I'm, I um, seem to get some kind of inspiration for this. I'm not quite sure why. Um, I, I, one of the things, too, is that I, I have this, um, despite having these Buddhist, um, very strong Buddhist roots, I have this Christian roots as well, and um, I've been really drawn to you know, even like Mother Mary. I'm not even sure why. I have no understanding of this. But Mother Gaia really keys into this as well. So um, I was inspired, I'm not sure why, but um, to write this Ode to Gaia, and it's a reimagined Psalm 23. 
And so if anyone knows what Psalm 23 is, some may not, it's a very uh, well-known verse from the Bible, and you've probably heard it in movies and things, but it begins, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, often recited at a burial or um, at the end of someone's life. So I decided to reimagine that, um, that psalm. And it goes like this. So instead of, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, I say, Gaia contains multitudes. What more could I want? She invites me to lie down in green pastures. She leadeth me beside the still waters. She rewilds my soul. She leadeth me in the path of self-understanding for its own sake. Yea, as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, at times I fear. But thou art with me. Thy winged, hoofed, finned, pawed, clawed, footed creatures, as we read today, they will comfort me. Thy rooted, stemmed, barked, leafed, flowering, fruited beings, they delight me, bringing me solace, song, and often take my breath away. Thou preparest the the soil of my consciousness for its ultimate good wherever I go. Thou preparest a grove of trees, a rocky cliff, a mossy bank, a flowering field, or a city park, an empty lot, a forgotten riverbank, to offer solace in a world full of despair. Thou anointest my head with transcendent light, my cup runneth over. Surely joy and understanding shall follow me all the days of my life, and I I will dwell in the temple of Gaia forever. Uh I think we need to start a prayer book. (laughs) Some beautiful prayers. Mm. I think there's others I see. (laughs) I'm Selena, and uh, yesterday, when I went wondering, I... uh, found a really nice bench by the pond and uh, saw this single red leaf and uh, this is the poem from that time. A single red leaf among a sea of green, brittle and beautiful. Is it alone or all one? Grasping, holding on, It does not want to fall. Let go. Let go. Let go. The pond beneath a new home softly starts a ripple 
that becomes a waterfall. It's on the map. It's it's over there. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really past the gazebo. <laughs> it's far, but it's down by like IMS on the other side. Yeah. Have we really all except Kara? Come on, Kara. Come on. <laughs> I will too. I'll do it if you do. Okay, me first. <laughs> I did write a poem and I'm realizing I don't have it with me, but I'll share that tomorrow. But I can share a story. Um, I'm so curious about the way we can surprise ourselves, like that we can encounter ourselves as like, oh, I don't even know you. Um, in the same way it happens with old friends, like you just suddenly learn something new about them. But it happens even with ourselves. And um, during this time, I'm very used to the feeling of being in the woods or being outside and suddenly seeing a plant or especially an animal, some small bug or critter, and being just like having this feeling of delight about it and surprise. But over the last couple of days, it's been happening with um, every time I see these little Buddha shrines in the woods, I'm suddenly like, oh, wow, who did that? And like just like so much joy has come up and it's surprised me because it's not like, I'm not getting close to the statue. It's not like the statue in particular that feels, I'm not like, maybe the statue is beautiful, but it's not that. And so today I was just kind of like, yeah, curious with myself of like, why is that so um, just delightful? And this was on our longer morning hike because at the place where the larger cliff was that we all stopped and put our hands on, under like one of the overhangs towards the far side, suddenly I saw a tiny bit of there. Maybe some of you saw it too. And I was like, oh, wow, I had no idea. And um, just was thinking about, I draw so much inspiration from this treasure tradition that Lama Willa has been speaking of and thinking about the way that we speak to each other across time and without words. And it was occurring to me each time that I see one of those statues, like that somebody has taken the time to place it there, it's really like this other person that I'm feeling so connected to in that moment, who I have no idea who they are or when they were there, and yet like I feel in like deep kinship with them around just this recognition of almost like this message of like this place, this place right here where you're standing is so sacred. Did you see it yet? Like, did you look yet? And um, just this kind of like a little wake up call, but also this wondering and kind of longing to know that person in some way or connect with them and um, 
on the one hand, of course, I am, but then on the other hand, there is like a, a distance there of, of time and space. Um, and so I just was sitting with that, and as we were kind of coming towards the end of our hike, suddenly I looked to the side and onto rock, I think that I saw someone from this group's altar from yesterday because there were like two red leaves and an orange leaf and some flowers and I didn't see any of those colors or flowers around. And so it just brought again like that same sense of delight of like this feeling of, oh, you were here. And it, 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 I don't have to know whose it was or even if it was someone's in a way, but just that sense. And I think Part of why it feels so moving to me is, in a way, like the entire natural world is that altar already. Like it's all, every every single like leaf, flower is offering itself in that way, but in this time of such intense destruction, there's something that feels maybe so poignant about encountering other humans being gentle and attentive in those spaces and like feeling in connection around that and in community around that. I think one of the poems from this morning, the, from the Zen poems that most strikes me for some reason is the one where Ryokan asks, what will be my legacy? And he names like the cuckoo's song and the autumn leaves. And I read that and I think like at another time you could write that and think, that's like the washing away of me, like a letting go of reputation and name and all this stuff. And in our time, it's more like to say that that will be our legacy is a question. Like, will our legacy be the destruction of those things? So, yeah, just feeling the sweetness of what it is to communicate without words to each other across time and place. It just some sense of care and reverence for the natural world and really appreciating being in community with all of you and that these days in a really big way. So thank you. Mm. Cool. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Thanks for fessing up. <laughs> Hi, my name's Wendy. I'm feeling a little like strange feel, saying a poem today and now going back to my experience from yesterday, kind of like a wormhole. But here we go. Um, this is going to be more of an experience than a poem. Um, I uh, had gone off into the woods quite frightened. I am by nature directionless. If you ask me which way is north, <laughs> I don't have it. I never have. So I'm a bit frightened going into the forest by myself, and, but got over it. Set my intention. Set my intention. <laughs> and um, I go through my notes here. Um, my intention uh, actually was to recenter myself. Um, like many of all of us uh, after COVID um, and many things that happened to us in life, I feel my foundation has been rocked, skewed, 
Um, I need. I came here to recenter. Um, so it just jumped off a cliff to the Buddhism world, of which I have no knowledge. <laughs> so there's that. <laughs> so if I seem a little green, that's because I am. Um, so uh, I come to the head of the path, the trail, and of course it's unmarked. I've been warned about this. Do not go towards the unmarked trail. Go at your own risk. So I go. Um, at the beginning of the trail, I'm quite afraid, as I said before, until I see this little glistening earthworm. Looks up at me, says, should I take this trail? And he says, yes. <laughs> it's easy. Look at me. But I'm just a worm. So I forge ahead. Uh, then I come to a fork. Uh, which way now? Uh, red right, yellow left. Oh, a uh, candy-like lemon furry yellow caterpillar walks across my foot to the left, overcoming mountainous obstacles in its haste with complete ease and uh, with little to no disruption to its flow. So, I follow the yellow path to the left. Uh, lichen, fungi, bright colors. Uh, interesting petrified native braids, perhaps nipuk in the form of tree root vines. Gorgeous, stunning. Neon red maple leaf. Uh, waves at me from the uh, slippery brown muck all alone. Uh, finally find my sanctuary. It's a big stone, half covered in moss, the other half protruding out of the earth like knee-high skyscrapers. Not a big guy. Uh, created my altar with my red maple leaf with yellow and orange and brown leaves, birch bark, and some uh, brown pine branches. Sat on a log and requested guidance, which may have already happened with the worm folk. My time was up at that point. I came back out. All right, so as not to be the only one, I will share my poem from today. I actually wrote two today, and this one... I was thinking about process, and that was partly why I asked you all about process. One of the things that I noticed today is that it started with a feeling that I couldn't name, and then slowly I sat with the feeling 
And as I understood the feeling more, the poem came. Like it was just the feeling and then the poem, and then the environment was interacting with the feeling and then it went from there. So I would say when I was looking at the process, it started in my emotional body and then it went into the world, into the outer world, and then it came back to me as this poem. And then I didn't want to stop and write because I didn't want to disrupt the feeling and the interaction So I wrote it down when I got back. Will you take me with wings broken, shaken and changed? Will you hold this jagged soul lost in time? Will you forgive the trespasses of a mind unhinged? In your womb of flowers and sunshine, of detrius and cold rain. That's my poem today. (laughs) So let's take a little break for five minutes in case you need to use the facility, stretch, but let's maintain our womb of noble silence. And then we'll come back to practice together for the rest of our time. introduce to you a practice called um, benefactor practice. And some of you are familiar with this practice. Those of you who have studied with me before or studied with Lama John McCransky, he describes this practice very well in a book called Awakening Through Love, which I recommend if you're interested in, well, the the title of the book says what the book is about. Um, So this practice is a practice of connecting to loving presence, as a way of creating a safe container for our practice. But also just as a way of accessing unconditional 
self-compassion. It's a meta practice, um, but a kind that is inspired by Tibetan practice, Tibetan tradition. And in Tibetan tradition, in the Tibetan tradition of Buddhism, you never sit for meditation, really, without starting with the benefactor practice. It's like, it's like a prerequisite for shamatha or any practice that we might be doing, any meditation practice we can, or in Tibetan practice, even should begin with benefactor practice. And the idea is that we start with seeing and feeling seen. And then from there we move into a practice of meditation. And so without further ado, I'm just going to guide the practice. I'm just going to guide the practice because in some ways, I think it's more powerful to just do and then to go through than for me to say, okay, this is the practice and this is how it will be. Because now you'll just be surprised, which is kind of nice when you're practicing meditation to let it be fresh. So we'll just start by feeling the body grounded on our cushion. stable and solid. And feeling the cool, fresh inhale our warm, soft exhale and the space between
And now we're going to call to mind an earth benefactor. And this might be someone from your life who showed you the way to your love of the natural world. It would be a guide or teacher or parent or friend, relative. Someone who opened that world for you. Or it might be a divine being in whom you have faith, such as Mary, Tara, Buddha, Jesus. Muhammad. A sage, a yogi, a saint, Vishnu, Krishna, whoever it is for you might be a divine being. And maybe you surround them with trees and flowers. Or maybe it's an animal spirit. One that you encountered in your life that inspired you to be connected to the more than human world. This benefactor is appearing in your mind's eye. Vividly, clearly, like a being visiting you in a lucid dream. As if she or he or they were truly present. luminous and radiant. And this being, your earth benefactor, is gazing at you with the eyes of unconditional love.
seeing you, not just the good parts, but all of you. And loving you just as you are. You can feel the radiance coming from the body of this kind one, like the rays of the sun. Warming your skin. melting the brittle or frozen parts of your being. And in that radiant light, you can feel yourself Relaxing and opening to receive this love into your heart. Into your subtle body and your mind. Just receiving. And you feel this radiance as a kind of empowerment for the ekosattva that you are. empowering you to fully feel and be with your grief empowering you with resilience
empowering you with the fierce love for these living creatures. Our non-human Sangha. Empowering you to act on behalf of this planet. Just receiving. Receiving healing light from that benefactor. This radiant green light. Healing the parts of your body that are wounded or ill. Receiving into your anxiety. Receiving into your fears, receiving this radiant green light, healing and soothing into your brokenheartedness.
Letting all be held and seen just as it is. Gradually, this radiance gives way to its essence. Which is boundless. non-dual wakefulness inseparable from this boundless love And relaxing into that radiant field, there's no separation.
Ecodharma dedication at the bottom. May all places be held sacred. May all beings be cherished. May all wounds to forests, rivers, deserts, oceans, all wounds to Mother Earth be lovingly restored to bountiful health. May all beings everywhere delight in whale song, bird song, and blue sky. May all beings abide in peace and well-being, awaken and be free. Thank you, everyone. Sweet dreams. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.